Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and lived the lives they deserve. Because of that, founders live lives of abundance, freedom, and creativity. That's what I'm really all about. Hello, my name is Aziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa with no opportunities, just sheer hard work to failing multiple startups yet learning a whole lot to barely escaping alive the war in Ukraine, even living as an illegal immigrant, I've lost everything twice and now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day sharing the wisdom of luminaries I've interviewed on this podcast from Google executives to Amazon, Microsoft, Forbes Technology Council, Harvard, Goldman Sachs, Financial Times, and even a priest from the Vatican Church. Everyone is welcome here. So let's begin. My guest today is Austin Schlesinger. Austin is an innovation strategist and competitive crossfitter. He has a 17,000-plus Twitter audience and writes about fitness and money. Austin, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm feeling blessed, optimistic, and really glad and happy to have you here today. And to begin this conversation with... Something that's relevant to you, that's top of mind. Is there something in your life, in your work, in Twitter or wherever that is an insight that you got recently, a problem that you notice a lot of people have, or something you're trying to change in your life because it demands your attention again and again and again? Yeah, something that... I'm focusing on right now is trying to eat more locally. So trying to find locally sourced vegetables, locally sourced meats. Um, I recently found out that my, I have high cholesterol, so I'm trying to find better sourced ingredients and just foods locally. So it's a problem that I have. And as I'm kind of talking to local farmers and talking to community support CSAs and whatnot. Um, I'm realizing it's, it's pretty difficult to kind of pull this together if you don't, if you're not familiar with the space. So, you know, not Twitter related, not related to writing or not related to work, but that's just one, one problem that I'm working on right now. Thank you. And how did that begin your quest for better nutrition, better health and better fitness? I think I've always been interested in fitness and eating healthy like ever since i was younger um my dad would always make me do like push-ups and and pull-ups i grew up playing a ton of sports so was always fit and i think nutrition was just i was first introduced to kind of nutrition when i was younger and i was like i want to get a six-pack and when you google like how to get a six-pack it starts with nutrition so I was actually just thinking about this yesterday, you know, where 
when did I first start getting interested in, in nutrition? And I think it was like, I want to get a six pack. Here's how I can do it. And my philosophy on like why I eat healthy has changed a lot since then. Like I, I thoroughly don't think it's all about getting a six pack, but that's kind of where it started, I would say. Thank you. And there are two kinds of experiences when it comes to this that are on the extreme of the curves. There are people who say, look, I'm trying to build my future. I don't have time to spend trying to eat healthy, to work out, because every minute counts at any moment. I can go bankrupt or not have money for bills to pay or my startup will fail. So I need to sacrifice it all. And when I make it, then I will hire someone to help me with my fitness and all that. While there are other people, like I remember Mark, Mark Sisson's book, The Primal Blueprint, where he said he looked like a fitness model. He was an athlete, but he was constantly in a state of inflammation that although he looked the part, his health was subpar. So what's your perspective on this? What would you say to either or both of these? I think that you always have to put your yourself first. You have to put your health first because if you're not able to perform at the highest level, then you're not going to be able to operate a business that or grow a startup in a sustainable way. So I think there's a lot of components that kind of go into that. And I just realized as I've kind of started writing more that, you know, on days where I'm not sleeping and or I'm not getting enough sleep or on days where I'm not eating the foods I typically eat or I don't get a workout in, I'm not nearly as productive than if I do do those things. So just like on an interpersonal level, I'm realizing that I need to kind of check those boxes in order to perform at my highest. And I think that it's difficult to understand that until you kind of start doing those things. You are like, wow, I can, I'm being a lot more productive with my time. You know, if I get eight hours of sleep or, or nine hours of sleep or just getting, I'm getting higher quality sleep, then I'm going to be able to do better in other aspects of my life. Thank you. And my next question will relate this to innovation strategy so nicely, which is this. Yes, there is a lot of value in performing at your best doing elite level of whatever you're doing. But just like th you think you might think about innovation where you can do everything perfectly, but the stars don't align and nothing comes of it. While sometimes some things could be done in a duct taped kind of way and bootstrapped and become a unicorn or get results that are beyond the imagination. Well, the same people who might be in the hustle culture or founders who say, yes, I would need to perform at my best if I was, I don't know, a blue chip Fortune 500 executive where everything is stable and can be expected. But I'm dealing with a dynamic world where every second things are changing or every day or every minute. So I need to throw more darts at the wall to see what sticks. And therefore, it's not about me performing at my best. It's about me doing more and taking more massive action. Because 
once I find that thing that works, only then as a startup or entrepreneur or founder can I have the luxury of trying to be uh, productive at my best. What are your thoughts on this? Just so I'm understanding it correctly. So what you're saying is that like when you're, you know, you're working in a corporate environment, there's less variables, there's less things that go wrong. It might be easier to prioritize your health and whatnot versus working in a startup. There's more variability. You have to take more risks and it might be more difficult to create that routine. Am I understanding that right? Yes. Yeah. So I think that that's 100% true. I mean, it's a, that's kind of like a dichotomy, right? You have the corporate side of things where most of it's kind of, you understand the work that you're doing every day, depending on your line of work. Um, and then you have the startup side of things where things are variable and things are changing and, and moving quickly. I think that personally speaking, you know, I've, I've worked in startup environments in the past and just knowing myself, I think that it's kind of prioritizing the things that were within my control, I guess, just getting like small wins. So instead of going to the gym for, you know, an hour, just going and getting like a, you know, going out for a 20 minute run instead of, you know, planning out my meals to a T, it was just saying, like, hey, I'm going to prioritize eating protein, cutting back on, on carbs. I think it's, it's small adjustments as opposed to, I think a lot of people think it's like, you know, prioritizing your health is this huge, like, task. And it really starts with small habits. It's, you know, I need to get, it's, it's creating a sleep routine where, you know, I'm maximizing the time that's in bed, you know, I'm cutting caffeine um, in the afternoon because I know that I'm not gonna be able to sleep. It's understanding when you're most productive. Like some people are much more productive in the morning. So they're going to prioritize, you know, getting to bed earlier so that they can get up and they can work and hit the ground running. Some people work better in the evenings. Um, and it's just understanding that. So I think that for people that are kind of working in environments that are more variable, it's being introspective and being understanding of the best way that you can work. And I understand there's certain times where it's like, you know, shit's hitting the fan. You're going to have to, you're, you're way out of whack. You're not going to be able to do these things. But I think that just by understanding who you are and when you work best is just kind of a great starting point. Thank you. That's a great answer. And to move on to audience building, because you have a lot of experience with that, especially on Twitter. First and fundamentally, why not LinkedIn? Because as someone who works at Deloitte, you expect or people would expect you to be more LinkedIn focused where the growth will come from there. So why Twitter? How does it compare to LinkedIn? And how was that it happened? You became someone with an audience on social media. Sure. So I actually started on LinkedIn back in 2020. So as a little bit of background, I graduated from college. I graduated from Rutgers in May of 2020. But in March, that's when COVID, the pandemic had started and everybody went home. So classes were online. I had a lot more free time. I started recording, a, I started a podcast, recorded a bunch of episodes. And the number one 
growth factor in like growing my podcast was posting it on LinkedIn. So that's where I started. That's kind of where I kind of under started to learn about copywriting and understanding, you know, how to get people to actually listen to your show. So I started on LinkedIn. And then once I started my job, um, I was a little uncomfortable kind of like posting all of that stuff on LinkedIn because all of my coworkers were seeing it. They were asking me about it. And I just think I was a little bit uncomfortable with being that open about everything that, that I was doing, especially because I was just new to a job, new to the corporate world, didn't really understand things. So fast forward a little bit, my friend talked to me about Twitter and in the past Twitter had only been for, you know, following my friends at my high school friends and posting about sports and keeping up with news and whatnot. And my buddy was like, no, 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 it's much more than that. You need to go on there. You're going to meet a ton of awesome people. And that's kind of where the journey started. Um, I started writing on Twitter for, I've been writing on Twitter for two years now. And I think the advantage to writing on Twitter versus writing on LinkedIn is it's a different audience. So whereas Twitter is kind of more startup focused, there's a lot more creators. LinkedIn is kind of more corporate. And I kind of had that corporate network and I wanted to branch out and meet more people that were kind of doing similar things like me and taking taking risks like starting a blog or you know, starting a podcast and creating content and whatnot. So I just kind of gravitated towards that. I'll caveat that by saying a lot of creators now I'm seeing are pivoting over to LinkedIn. And I think there's advantages to that as well. LinkedIn is very shareable in that once you post something, if you like it, it automatically shares it with someone's entire network. I think that I'm pretty sure that that's what happens. Um, but in terms of audience building, in general, that's kind of like, you know, my background in terms of where I started and, and whatnot. I had personal blogs in the past, but the issue with personal blogs is that the distribution is really crappy because, you know, you, you write and then you have to send it to a bunch of people. Whereas on a, if you're writing on a social network or you're creating content on a social network, there's algorithms and things that will help distribute it for you. So I think that answer your question, but if I miss something, just let me know. That's a wonderful answer. No, you did answer it. And imagine today you had to start from scratch on Twitter and you knew nobody. What would you do to build back your audience again? Or how would you go about it starting totally from zero so that maybe some of the listeners can be inspired, learn or follow that plan to get their voices heard on a larger scale. It all boils down to three things. So number one is identifying what you want out of building an audience. This is a piece that a lot of people miss. This is something that I like totally skipped over. And it wasn't until I had created like a, a baseline of content that I kind of understood it. But it's like, why are you building this in the first place? Your goal, if your goal is to build an audience of 10,000 people, or your goal is to kind of get your first thousand or first hundred followers. Like what's, what's kind of the purpose and what's kind of driving you to get there. And that's something that I'm still working on. It's like, you know, I have this audience now and you know, what, what I want to do for it. You know, why did I, why did I do it in the first place? So I think it kind of starts with being introspective and just kind of understanding, Hey, this is the reason why I want to do this more tactically. It's once you kind of understand what you want to do, 
It's writing content for the audience that you're trying to build. And the best way to do that on Twitter is through writing Twitter threads. That's just kind of like the, the fastest way to, to build your audience. It's a very captivating way to display content. Um, you're, it's going to force you to learn how to write more concisely, to tighten up your ideas, to make it engaging. You're going to learn how to write great copy because people aren't going to read your super like informative, dense threads. They're going to be pithy and quick and it's going to be things that people want to, you know, engage with and they want to see. So just to recap, I think it boils down to, Hey, you know, why are you number one, why are you building the audience in the first place? Number two, what is the audience you're trying to build? And then three, if you're building on Twitter, stick with Twitter threads in terms of the cadence, if you can do, if you can put out one really quality Twitter thread per week and you do that for, you know, six months, I'd be very surprised if you didn't build some sort of an audience on the platform. Thank you. And some people who are, have never experienced a large audience don't understand if that or how life-changing that be that can be like the experiences when you have there. Can you share more from the other side as well as which number began this uh, change? Like, did it was it when you reached 5,000, 10,000, whatever, that you noticed more opportunities, more networking connections, whatever it is that happened that you can speak about uh, when you reach a high level of followers on Twitter? It's the number of opportunities that you're presented with. So when you start writing about specific topics, you're going to start gravitating or people are going to start gravitating towards you and assume that you kind of know something about what you're talking about. So there were two events that I can trace back to that were pivotal for me or kind of like helped me understand like, Hey, this is the, this is the value of building an audience. The first one is, was when I started growing my following and people started hitting me up saying like, Hey, how do I do this? So when people started asking me, I was giving out all this advice to those that wanted help building an audience on Twitter. And although that wasn't like a, topic that I was passionate about. It was like, Hey, you know, I would love to you know teach people how to do this because it took me a while to figure it out on my own. So when people started asking me that I, you know, wrote up a bunch of points. Um, and when people would ask me, I would send them these key points. And eventually people were like, you know what? I understand that this is how to do it. I just want you to do it for me. So then I started doing some ghostwriting. So helping people write their write Twitter threads and helping them build online. And now I have three ghostwriting clients. So I'm making some money on the side through, through writing, which has been super awesome. So that's kind of the first, first thing I'm like, Hey, you know, I can make money with my writing, which was cool. Thank you. And one thing before you go, just let's say someone has a dream of growing an audience and becoming a ghostwriter without saying anything specific, how much can they expect to be paid for such a service? Because you said you're making money on the side, but you have a good job. So I assume you're not getting paid peanuts or whatever for it. So it can maybe encourage some people to focus and to go through the growing pain period by knowing more about the possible outcomes. Sure. So 
what can you expect from ghostwriting? I would say it really depends. So when I started, I think I've been doing it for around a year now. And what I did is that I took my annual salary and crunched that down into an hourly rate. So it was like, how much am I making in my full-time job? And what I did is I charged time and a half on whatever I was doing. Cause I figured, Hey, if I'm doing work on the side, I want to get paid more than what I'm getting paid on my day job. So I did time and a half to start and kind of extrapolated that like, Hey, it's going to take me this amount of time. It'll take me 10 hours to write a Twitter thread. I'm charging time and a half. This is the amount of money that I can expect to make. I can, I can share like specific numbers, but I think it really depends on what you value your, your time at. So I think that the range that I've seen through my friends and kind of what I've done is anywhere from 2000 to all the way up to $10,000 a month for creating content. And again, like it's dependent on your cadence, how much time you're spending on it, but the TLDR is you can make a lot of money with ghostwriting. Thank you. And please keep on sharing more. You said there are more than one thing that you notice when you grow your audience, the opportunities that presented themselves, but you mentioned it takes you around 10 hours to create and publish uh, a thread. Is this like an example or is this the average you do? And if so, you work in a corporate environment where you have, I don't know, eight hours a day doing that. Where do you find the time or how do you organize your day to give time to to thread creation where, I don't know, maybe at the end of the day, you're too tired or maybe after mm -hmm. the gym or whatever. So how do you uh, carve time that is productive for Twitter? Or is it a priority or do you go to work first and then when you have time left over, you do it for Twitter? It's definitely a priority. So I'll touch on kind of tactically, tactically what I do and like wh where I spend my time and then I'll loop it back into the other benefits of kind of building an audience online. So 10 hours per thread. That's the way I came up with that number is that before I started writing for other people, I was writing threads for myself and I was just kind of pumping them out. And some of the ones that were very research-based were taking me 10 plus hours. It was crazy. It was like, you know, I'm writing these and I can share examples with you as well. Um, but they were very research heavy and I was writing stories about founders and businesses. And the way that I was, my research process was that I would literally listen to every single interview that the founder was on explaining his business's story or their business's story. So it would take a lot of time. Tactically, how I do that is that I, I have an alarm set for 5am every morning to get up. Sometimes I'm getting up at 5:30, but a lot of times I'm getting up at five. Um, and I'm one of those like, morning writers. Like when I get up in the morning, that's when my ideas are flowing. That's where I can, you know, nobody's up yet. Nobody's pinging me for my full-time job. I can just kind of sit down and create content. So that's when I do it. Looping back to the other benefits of building an audience online. First thing was making money. The other thing was that creating opportunities for, for yourself, whether that be job opportunities or investment opportunities. So for example, a few months ago, I think back in February, I wrote a thread on the future of sleep technology. And I've tested a few like sleep 
wearables like Aura, Whoop, and, and a few others. So I kind of had a little bit of background, but I'm not a sleep scientist by, by no means. I'm friends with sleep scientists. I'm not on their level at all. But long story short, I wrote this thread and it got a totally blew up, had a bunch of engagement and I had a bunch of like founders and venture capitalists reach out, reaching out to me being like, Hey, I loved your thread. I want to talk to you about the future of the sleep tech industry. And I'm like, dude, I've only tested these products. Like this is just my theory, but sure. Like I would love to have this conversation with you. And that's been one of the more rewarding aspects of building an audience besides making money online, besides getting like job opportunities. It's like, it's pretty awesome that people, you know, you're sharing your ideas and you get to kind of share them with the world and people kind of look at you like, you know what you're doing, even though like you might not know all the nitty gritty details. But I found that, you know, when you're writing and you're putting your ideas out there, some people want to dig a little bit more and having those conversations are, are super rewarding because you get to learn more, you get to share, share what you were learning and, through that, there's been investment opportunities and also job opportunities that have came my way. So that's just another example of one of the benefits of building an audience online. Thank you very much. And I know um, I'm not asking you to reveal all your secrets, but since you're willing to commit 10 hours to researching something, how do you decide or come up with or know that a topic idea or a thread idea will work for you? Is it that you see what's going viral and you get inspired from that? Or do you have another way so that you decide on the idea and go for it? Because otherwise you spend 10 hours of research and then it just falls flat, which is uh, can be demotivating. I've definitely had threads where I've spent a ton of time and I'm like, this is the one, like this is going to blow up. And it just doesn't perform. So it sucks, but I have created systems to reduce the amount of times that that, that happens, or I've tried to create systems. And what that looks like is that when I'm going to write something, there's kind of two things that I'll, two options for what I can write about. It's something that I've done so my personal experience, and I'm only 24, so I don't have too much experience, or it's something that I'm looking into, or it's my, my opinion. I'm not an expert in, in anything right now, so I can't speak to like, you know, I've, I'm a startup founder and I've raised $100 million, here's how you can do it too. I can't do that kind of thing. But what I can do is like, hey, I've spent, or I've spent, you know, 10 hours researching this, this startup story, I know the nitty gritty details. I know more than the average person and here's the story. So it kind of starts with that. What have you done? Um, what's your opinion on something kind of process. And then from there, there's certain templates that I've seen just through scrolling through Twitter that do very well. And once you kind of start being more cognizant of understanding and finding these templates, you see them everywhere. So if you follow like a group of people, or if you just scan Twitter and you look at the things that have gone viral, you'll see consistencies in the thread formatting in terms of what does the hook look like? For those who don't know, the hook is like the first 
the first tweet, how is it structured? What makes it engaging? And then there's other nuances in that, like in the thread. And I'm talking specifically about Twitter just because that's what I know. Um, like instead of numbering things, you use bullet points or there's lots of formatting things that make things more readable that you, you'll start to see as you start being more cognizant and trying to looking for these templates. So like tactically, it's, you know, what do I want to write about? The next thing is, hey, here are these templates. How can I, how can I fit that into that? Because I know that this format is, has worked in the past. And because it's worked in the past, it's likely to work in the future. I'm not sure if that answered your question, but that's kind of how I think about it. It did. Thank you so much. And before we finish, maybe a hyper tactical question, but some people love hashtags on Twitter while others say they don't matter anymore. They're for amateurs and all that. What's your perspective on hashtags? I don't use them. Is it for a conscious reason or did you notice it with big accounts or like, how did the decision come to be? I did a bunch of research on how to build an audience on Twitter. And there's nothing that says to use hashtags. I know on other platforms, it might be advantageous, but just from doing that research and noticing that none of them were recommending using hashtags. And then also looking at the people whose accounts I enjoyed and I kind of want to model, I wanted to model my account after, none of them were using hashtags either. So I just never used it. I don't really know why, but just because other people aren't using them was enough for me to say, yeah, you know, I'm not going to use them either. Thank you so much. And it now, you know, to finish, can you just share about your mission right now, what you're working on, where can people find out more about you? And I'll make sure to write your Twitter in the episode description. Awesome. So what I'm working on, or my mission, I'll start with that, is to help 1 million people live healthier. So what that means is not only like your physical health, but your, your mental health, your social health, vocational health, and your financial health. And I can dive into those if we, if we want to. But health across various domains. So that's kind of my mission. The way that I'm doing that is that I write Twitter threads and I also run, write a monthly newsletter on the first Friday of every month, kind of breaking down each of those categories. Um, and where you can find me is at Austin Schles on Twitter. Thank you so much, Austin. This was my privilege, my honor, and I wish you a great day. Keep going. And again, to confirm it for the people who might not understand the work involved in this, I think you mentioned your ghostwriting for two accounts, correct? Three accounts. Okay. So are you spending 10, 10, 10, 10, 40 hours a week uh, researching threads for Twitter? Or how does that logistically work? As well as uh, what's your thought about daily tweeting? So what's the purpose of daily tweeting compared to threads? I think it's really up to you. I think that individual tweets are a great way to test the ideas behind threads. So if you have a larger idea and you don't want to put a ton of research into it and you want to test it out, boil that idea down into one tweet and share it You know, once, maybe share it, rewrite it and share it again and see if your followers engage with it. 
And then if there's traction there, then write a full blown thread. Um, I've experimented with a lot of different cadences in terms of like how often I'm doing individual tweets versus threads. I've seen the biggest bang for my buck in pouring my time into an individual thread and distributing it to a bunch of people. You know, I'll write it out and then I'll send it to a bunch of my friends be like, Hey, here's my latest thread. I think you'll like this and hopefully they'll engage with it. So that's kind of where I've seen the biggest bread and butter, but I've also seen a bunch of accounts do very well with individual tweeting, but personally threads have been the, have been the most impactful for me in terms of like the amount of time I'm spending on ghostwriting. I think that the, the average is 10 hours, I would say. And, you know, I spread that out. I'm always working on the weekends, but I don't mind it because I've, I really enjoy doing it. So I think you could probably crunch that down. I, I could probably crunch it down and be more efficient with it if I had the right systems. But right now, that's kind of how much time it's taking me. Thank you again. This was fascinating. And I wish you to keep going. And this is really cool. You know, to think about it in this way, that we didn't live in a world where you can get paid well for writing tweets. And suddenly, you know, nowadays we have so many opportunities to live life in a way where we maximize our strength that to our parents or grandparents will sound totally insane and uh, incredible. Yeah, it's so funny. Like explaining to my parents and, and what my friend, like to my friends, what I do. It's hard for me to explain what I do at Deloitte to people. Like I was at the dentist last week and the dentist was like, oh, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm an innovation strategist at Deloitte. And he's like, what's Deloitte? What's innovation strategy? And I'm like, I can barely explain this to you. I don't even know how I would explain to you Twitter ghostwriting, but you're right. It's, it's crazy. There's so many different ways to make money. And the one thing about writing is that the medium might change, but writing will always be valuable. You know, whether you're working in a corporate setting or a startup, you know, there's always value in writing a good memo, writing out a good process telling a story. So I think if I can leave this podcast with anything, if you don't have a daily writing habit, I would highly recommend starting to, to write more frequently because it'll create a ton more opportunities for you. If you're publishing online, it'll help you clarify your thinking. And it's a great way to just put your mind at ease. And it's, it's a great like meditation tactic. I've learned that if I have a bunch of stuff going on, if I sit down at the keyboard and I type away for 30 minutes, it can solve a lot of my problems and make me chill out a little bit. I agree 100%. Some people say that you cannot think in your brain because it's jumbled up, but externalizing your thinking on paper by writing, then you can look at it, examine it, and actually think properly rather than be confused. Again, I mean, I love this. We could go on forever, but... I respect your time. I know you'll be back to do your research and writing and all your important work. So I wish you a great day. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me.